Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's playoff time. Big stakes. Bigger promotions. Every day of basketball's playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part? It's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app. Go to pools and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during the day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So go out ahead and Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time, only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. What's going on? I'm back. This is Jason Jones bringing you the latest episode of the Ruler of the Court podcast. The court that I rule, where we talk Sacramento Kings, we talk hip-hop, and who else knows might come up on this show? It's me again, Jason Jones, and not only am I back, guess who else is back for another season? Uh, Luke Walton, Kings head coach. Um... much maligned by, as I call it, a very vocal and angry part of the fan base and even some media folk. I'm still getting used to this whole notion of media folk being so emotionally invested in a team. Like, it's still a weird thing for me. Maybe I'm old now and this is just the way things are and the lines have been blurred between traditional media you know, radio personalities, TV personalities, so on and so forth, so much that 
you know, the team you're covering can elicit some type of emotion out of you. But yeah, pretty much you got a lot of pissed off people right now <laughs> over Luke Walton being back. And I'm not surprised he was he's back as if, you know, which was addressed this week uh, in the uh, on Tuesday, actually, the postseason press conferences with uh, Luke Walton and Monty McNair. Nice little fun Zoom time for us. But as I said earlier this week in the first episode of the week, generally you go into the last week or so of a season. And if a coach is going to get fired, you pretty much know. Like I said, the only time covering this team I was surprised when a coach got fired was when Michael Malone was fired. Which, of course, was a whole shit show situation anyway. But... I just hadn't heard or felt any rumblings that Luke was on his way out. You, you know, we at theathletic.com, myself and Sam Amick had a, you know the story about the whole. Uh, as Monty McNair said, it didn't come from him, but came from our story. The whole gap year approach, as you know, essentially using this season to analyze, evaluate, and not make any judgments on really anyone. Right. As far as the coaching staff, it was more about evaluating the players. And it's essentially, Luke would have had to, I mean, this is my assessment, would have had to have had a record like the Rockets had this season, <laughs> you know, in order to really justify and, and, you know, or, you know, give the front office readings to remove him. But that didn't happen. The team actually finished with the same record it finished with last season. 31 and 41. You know, Lucas 20 games under 500 in his uh, two seasons, but that's still, as I always remind y'all how crazy it is, there's still the second best winning percentage of any coach in the Sacramento era behind, of course, Hall of Famer Rick Adelman. So, let's go ahead and get into this. Let's really get into why Luke Walton is back. And Monty McNair says it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the $11.5 million guaranteed with no stretch provision in it. So, which would mean that, say, you fired Luke Walton today, you better cut him a check right then. He said, you know, it has nothing to do that with, with money. It was strictly a basketball decision. And that was it. And, of course, a lot of you, most of you, none of you, none of us, no one really believes that. Why? Because in anything in business, money's always a factor. Money is always a factor. You look at the NBA, there's guys who play because they make more money than the other guy. And because the team has invested more money into a certain player, that player is going to get more opportunities so that that team can justify that salary. And that's no different with coaches. No team wants to be paying two and three coaches. You know, if you're going to even if you're not going to be good anyway. Why would anyone want to pay, <laughs> you know, X amount of millions of dollars to pay someone not to coach? But that's just where we are nowadays. And the Kings have been through a hellacious time with the pandemic financially. That's no secret. They've lost a lot of money like many franchises in all sports have. And eating that salary, you know, just especially if you're not sure you can get the guy you want you know, who you think can turn things around. You know, eating that salary makes no sense. Just from a business fiscal fiscal management point of view. And people will say, counter that, well, what if they don't win? 
you know, with Luke Walton. Number one, this isn't, people forget the market we're in. This is Sacramento. This is not LA. It's not the Lakers. This is, you know, this is not a situation where fans are going to stop coming to games because the team isn't good. Seriously. How many of you are would not come to a Kings game next season if they're, I don't know, 15 and 20 through 35 games or 15 and 25? How many of you would literally be like, I'm not coming to games anymore? I think after this past season where people couldn't come to games, people are coming to games anyway. So, no, miss me with the I'm not going to come to games because after 15 years of missing the playoffs, you know, ownership that they didn't have money to spend for years or didn't want to spend money nearly moving what twice we had at least two last games in sacramento after all that if you're still coming to games now i do not believe you if you say luke walton is going to be the reason why you don't come to games i just don't believe you i'm gonna say that again if you're trying to convince the king's ownership and that you will not come to games because of Luke Walton. Again, I don't believe you. You need more people. And I, I'm just not buying it. So, why is Luke back? Kind of, uh, the, the thing that came up with Monty McNair and the players was relationships. Relationships, relationships, relationships. If you If you know Luke Walton, met him at all, he's a hard guy not to like. I mean, this just to be fair, yeah, he's hard. He's a hard guy not to like. So, and one of his strengths really is that that ability to communicate with all kinds of people. You know, maybe it's you know you're raised by Bill Walton, so you're just a little more laid back. I don't know, but everyone cited the fact that the relationships that he's built. Luke has not lost the locker room. I'm gonna repeat that. Luke Walton did not lose the locker room. I know there's a sentiment that the guys don't play hard for Luke. Uh, that's, that's completely not true. Uh, they might play poorly for Luke, but they they never quit on him. And I'm, I've been around the Kings long enough to see when teams have quit. Hell, this team basically fell apart and quit two years ago. <laughs> so I know when I see that, and you know from talking to people, that's not what you got with this group here. So that that falls in the, uh, Luke's favor, his relationship with the players. Then you go to the relationship with the front office. Luke and Monty have a good working relationship, which they've built basically by talking every day since you know Monty was hired last September. So they put a lot of time into building that relationship, building it, building it, building it, building it. Now you've got Luke who comes from a basketball, you know, Basketball royalty in terms of family, you know, his father is one of the best players to ever play the game. You know, he was, you know, he played for the late great Lute Olson at Arizona. You know, at a time when Arizona was still a basketball blue blood, and I know they kind of fallen on hard times lately, but you know, you know, so he's you know, he's been around some absolute, you know, basketball royalty, and then you get to. Uh, his uh, NBA career, he lands with the Lakers. And who ends up being his coach? Phil Jackson. Who does he play with his rookie year? Shaq and Kobe. I mean, he's been he's he's been around and learned from essentially the best you can learn from in terms of basketball. So you 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 combine that with Monty's analytics, you know, 
kind of different path toward the NBA. Monty was a college football player. There seems to be a good kind of symmetry. You know, you got the basketball side, the, the number side, and then you mix in everyone else, you know, in the front office. There seems to be a nice connection between those two. Say what you will about whether, you know, Joe Dumars is still having influence, whether Joe is the real boss, what Vivek may or may not do. For the purposes of what's going on right now, the fact that Luke and Monty have a good relationship has is a factor on why he's back. And Monty made that clear that, you know, he he's enjoyed working with Luke, getting to know him, and looking forward to what they can do. And again, I understand it's been 15 years of losing. I don't expect anyone to believe <laughs> anything that's said by anyone from the Kings about being optimistic. And I know the uh, the the quote that got everyone riled up. And like I said, I have fun with y'all on Twitter. I tweet this shit anyway just to mess with you because I know I I like seeing the the anger in the in the mentions sometime was when when Monty said Luke is going to be the coach that gets them back to the, the Kings back to the playoffs. Oh, God, y'all didn't like that. But, hey, it is what it is. And so you've got the relationship between Luke and the players, Luke in the front office. Another relationship as to why Luke is back. It's the coaching staff's relationship with the players. This is a wildly popular staff with the players. You know, Rico Hines. He, you know, he's, he was, you know, his reputation precedes him in terms of his ability to work with a variety of players. There's a reason why players all across the league, you know, have spent parts of their summer and past years down at UCLA where Rico has been running the, you know, the open gym at UCLA. Uh, Bobby Jackson, Lindsey Harding, Stacey Ogman, Jesse Mermis, uh, Rex Kalamian, Am I forgetting anyone? Alvin Gentry. You know, this is a staff that people genuinely like. And that's that helps. That that works in Luke's favor. And I, it's a big reason why he's he's still back. I mean, because even if it were a money situation and Monty didn't really want him back, you know, and maybe he, you know, we can be devil's advocate here. Maybe Monty don't really want him back and it's a money thing. It, you know, it would be much harder to still keep him if the players hated Luke and the coaches. And that's not what you got here. So, that's that's kind of, you know, why Luke is back. And But who Luke hasn't won over is that angry, vocal portion of the fan base. See, I don't try to measure the, the temperature of the room just by Twitter. Because that tends to be the kind of the extreme end. But... I'd be lying if I said I don't know that the fan base is not very fond of Luke for a variety of reasons. One, they feel that he's not hard enough on the players. You know, it's kind of um, when you see that that laid-back style on the bench, and you know, maybe they want you want Luke to throw some chairs, yell, break some more clipboards, but that's been one thing. They that has been equated with Luke to not holding the players accountable. Whereas people I've talked to inside that locker room around the team would tell you the players are held accountable, but I get it. You don't see that. And it doesn't help when the team 
makes some of the same mistakes over and over and over again. You're like, there can't be any accountability. Because if there was, you guys wouldn't keep doing the same shit that's wrong. So, I hear you on that. Trust me, I hear you. And there's also the uh, the fact that the defense went from sugar to shit this you know, past season. And, and the sugar was still relative. They were in the top 20 in defensive rating in 2019-20. They were 19th. And that was an improvement from pretty much the last 50, four, previous what 13 years at that point. It's in terms of defense. That was like a wow. That's amazing. You know, good job, y'all. Good job, y'all. But what was the problem? This past season, that defense went all the way down the toilet. And then that toilet got backed up. So you just kept on piling more bad defense. I type of more bad defense. I mean, they went through a stretch where giving up 130 a night was common and expected. You know, just a lot wrong with the defense. A whole lot wrong. And some of that can be attri- you know, attributed to scheme, which is a, a you know, which is part of coaching. You know, the coaching staff has to take part of the L for that defense last season so that's one reason you know but still you can't you know it's it's either easier excuse me to fire a coach than it is a player and a lot of people just figure you got to fire luke for that you know you don't people don't take into account that the roster wasn't as good as it was the previous season that they lost one of their better more versatile defenders in free agency and kent baysmore who will be well now he'll be in the play-in game on friday but could end up being a contributor on a team that still made the playoffs. I mean, there's other factors into this, you know. So, you know, but, uh, hey, it was one of those things where Luke just did not endear himself over with the fans well because the team, you know, had two nine-game losing streaks. Just things didn't go well at times. So even when the team played well, there were still concerns about about, you know, just how bad they were defensively. And then you add on to that, there was also a big, you know, as as it became, you know, it's funny. You know, people were so mad at Luke. There are actually people who were mad the team was winning late in the season. They're like, damn, you're messing up the draft. My, my, st- my position that has been clear, I don't, you know, I don't give a damn about a draft pick. Stop trying to wait for some, you're waiting on a kid to save you and try to learn how to win. You know how to lose. You're very, very well versed at losing. You're one of the best in terms of losing. The Kings have been the best at losing for the overall for the last 15 seasons. You know, they haven't been to the playoffs that whole time. Tied the NBA record for most straight seasons out the playoffs. So I was not in favor, if I, if I had to say, of them just all out emptying the bench and tanking. But even them winning made people mad, which was hilarious to me. But those are just some of the things that people would say is why they want Luke Walton out. Problem, like I said, but you can look at the look at the financial factor. You look at the fact that I don't think anyone would would disagree that until the trade deadline, they were woefully undermanned in terms of depth on the bench, which contributed to some of those losses. But I can I can let you in on a little secret. When the team had that first maybe it's not even a secret, but uh when the team had that first stretch where they won seven of eight Every runner run that team knew it was a matter of time before that thing was going to fall apart. Why? Lack of depth. You knew that playing these guys, the extended minutes they were playing, eventually 
there was going to be a consequence and guys were going to get worn down. And guess what happened? Guys got worn down. Losing started happening again. So, hey, when you have that under that general understanding between everyone of what's going on, it makes it easier to bring Luke back and you say, you know what, let's go ahead and fix some of those things, address some of those things and do what we can to make sure that doesn't happen again next season. So, Luke is definitely on the clock. Luke knows that. We all know that. No. If there's no playoffs next season, or uh, assuming this plan sticks around, if the Kings aren't in the top 10 next season, could be hell to pay for this coaching staff. It It may be a year late for some of you, but it is what it is. This is what the team is doing. They're going to roll with it. And, yeah, I mean, not much else to say about that. I mean, I know some people are pissed. They don't like the decision. But, hey, it is what it is. You know, just got to roll with it and see what happens. Just, just where we're at. And I think it's no secret how they how they get into the playoffs. It's the defense. It's the defense. Again, it's the defense. Got to fix that defense. I mean, you just got to at least be at this. I mean, based on how bad they were this year, top 15, 18, that would be adequate enough to get them into that top 10 in the West. So you got to fix that, you know. But the question always remains, can the front office and ownership remain patient through that process? What if the Kings start the year two and six? I don't know. One and five, you know, it's, you know, you never know. What if they talk to you off bat? Do you just panic and fire the coach right then? Do you try to blow it up? Do you start trading guys? Do you, you know, and actually probably down the road, I'll have an episode, some episodes just on free agency, kind of breaking down some of my observations and what I see for this team and what I know about what the plans might be. But, you know, the question becomes, will, you know, will the front office have the, the ability to improve this team? enough to get to the playoffs and will ownership ride this out you never know with this team hell i know what's been said luke is the coach right now then again i never thought when the team left the bubble last year that vladi would be out so nothing surprises me so we'll see what happens we'll see what happens with that but i think i've talked enough about luke walton on these last couple of episodes giving you a good you know feel of that you know players have had their Exit interviews, you know, the, the, the plan is in place with, you know, which coaches will work with who in the offseason, who will be flying where, all that good stuff to kind of get this team back on the, on the right road toward uh, winning games again. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to touch on actually a couple of things. I want to talk about uh, uh, first this whole Kwame Brown, all the smoke thing. This is not a Kings thing. Well, in the sense that Matt Barnes is a former King, maybe. But I actually want to speak to what Kwame Brown has been saying. and Particularly about the just the way players are covered. And I've never spoken to Kwame Brown before. I've seen him play in person. I've been around the team, you know, 
when he was with the Lakers, you know, while covering the Kings. So, I mean, but I don't know Kwame. Don't pretend to know him. But there is something very, he, he points out that is very problematic with the media business these days. Where you have, you know, this doesn't really apply to Matt Barnes or Steven Jackson because, well, they actually played in the league and they did probably know Kwame. I know Jack definitely did because he played with him. But he brought about how after he first spoke out or spoke on the whole, the whole all the smoke thing, his issue with them, how you had members of the media saying how they, they this is what they think Kwame thinks. This is what they think why Kwame did this. Blah, 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 blah. That's kind of a problem we've had in our business now where you have people who speak on what people are thinking and they don't know these people. And I think on that point, Kwame is exactly right. You know, you can't, you know, we got to get away from just talking heads and people giving their opinions and which is fine. You're going to have that part of the media. I mean, that there's a role and place for that, but People have to also remember their journal, some journalistic principles. That's another issue. People aren't journalists, but it's it. You got to be careful, you know. And I think fans and even members of the media should be uh, kind of tip, not tiptoe, but be careful when you hear someone talking about someone they don't know. I, that's what I would just say and advise on that because Kwame spoke spoken a lot of truth in the stuff he said. I don't agree with everything he said, you know. But in terms of that's one thing where I think he spoke the absolute truth, just a portion of that. So I just want to touch on that because everyone's been talking about it. It's been kind of the, the, I don't know what you would call it, the not the playoff chatter, but you know just the maybe the player gossip chatter. So that's all I really got on that. We're gonna close out with. Uh, the hip-hop portion of, of, of this uh, show. Now, I got new glasses on, y'all, so things are kind of looking weird <laughs> right now. I've got these progressive, what they call progressive lenses? Yeah. So this whole idea that when I look straight ahead, things look normal. But then when I look down, you know, things look different. You know, I can read better. Someone told me I'm just wearing cool ass uh, bifocals. Stop trying to be fancy with the name, whatever. Leave me alone with that. But what we're going to talk about today is uh, this week we celebrate the 31 year anniversary of, in my opinion, one of the best uh, albums in hip hop history, America's Most Wanted. Ice Cube's solo debut. You know, we all know the story. Ice Cube left N.W.A. You know, he couldn't work with Dr. Dre anymore, obviously. So he went back east to work with the Bomb Squad. uh, Best known for their work with Public Enemy. And they created a classic. And last last year for the 30th anniversary, Cube actually had an IG Live where... He went by track for track and talked about where he was and what he was looking for. And I'm not going to go track for track, but I am going to highlight some of my favorite tracks from this classic album. I believe the source gave this five mics back at a time when that meant a whole lot in hip-hop culture. And just the significance of this album and what it just meant to hip-hop culture. Um... From I'm first start with the East West connection. So you know, 
this wasn't the first time East met West for uh, for music. I mean, DJ Pooh worked with LL Cool J. These got some a lot of guys he knew knew each other from tours, yo. So I mean, this wasn't you know Ice Cube and guys that they were influenced by the likes of people, like you no know, the you know Big Daddy Kane, Rock Kim. All these guys had you know had influence on the West Coast artists. So it wasn't like this was the first time that you had East meets West with with uh, production and whatnot. But this might have been the perfect connection because you had the grittiness of N.W.A. Ice Cube and the very unique sound of the bomb squad to create this masterpiece and it starts off with that better off dead intro and i love i i love a good you no know, album that has an intro and all that it's one of my favorite things i love theatrics and music and that's one of the best intros <laughs> you, you, you know that ever happened so you know, you jump ahead to America's Most Wanted. You know, America spelt with three Ks. Uh, America's Most Wanted. The story of, you know, a man who's on the run from the police. You know, you know, three weeks later, I'm at the PAD. You know, had a little fly-ass chick with me. Sitting in the den, you know, couldn't be. What up, G? I saw my face on TV. Well, let me stop. You know, I'm not cube. But... That was I remember when that song came out back in the day on KDAY, the uh, legendary uh, LA radio station. And back then it was 1580 KDAY, you know, AM. Do people even listen to the damn radio anymore or is it just all streaming? I don't know. But yeah, that's what I was on back then. And, and one of the things that made this album so good were the skits. So you go to You Can't Fade Me that was followed by J.D.'s Gafflin. And, you know, him talking about jacking fools at McDonald's for their Nissan trucks. I mean, who remembers Nissan trucks? I mean, do Nissan trucks exist anymore? Are there any out there still running? You know, but that, you know, that was one of the, you know, like I said, the skits that Cube would have were just classic stuff. And that was one of them right there. Then, you know, then, you you know, you scroll down, you go to, uh. Some of the best storytelling, some of the most creative storytelling ever. Once upon a time in the projects, you know, just you know, the the life and times of a young man going over to a young lady's house, trying to, you know, see what she, what's up with her. And any of us who have been in that situation, no, feel can feel the the angst, the frustration. You're getting questioned by people. You know, dudes in the parking lot looking at you sideways, like, where are you going? All that stuff. That's one of the better, uh, you know, examples of storytelling. I think it really highlighted Cube as a storyteller. One of the ones that highlighted him. And then you jump to Endangered Species, Tales from the Dark Side. Ice Cube and Chuck D together. Two of my favorite all-time artists. You know, the Endangered Species, of course, being, in this case, uh, uh, young black men, you know, also have to understand at this time, not that crime in the inner city has been, you know, er er eradicated completely, but this is a time for those of us who grew up in Southern California where gang banging 
had had a firm grip on the community and you saw all you saw in the news were gang killings gang killings gang killings so that's what you know that's where if you uh grew up around that time you fit you felt that song a gangster fairy tale this might be the uh of this whole album the most creative <laughs> of them all you know of, of all the storytelling you know taking all those classic fairy tale characters and t and putting them in a straight you no know, hood you know situation little boy blue you know <laughs> and all that stuff little boy blue was a crip all that you know just that was probably one of the funnier you know you know the three little pigs you know obviously you know who the three little pigs were all that stuff one of the, like i said just is is just elite next level storytelling you gotta love that then another great skit the drive-by like i said just great skits and the skits kind of all connected and the last song i want to highlight from this album it's a man's world cube going back and forth with yo-yo and what made this one different was uh you know a lot of times you might have had men and women you heard you know songs but it wasn't you know maybe it's a I felt like on this song, they were they're you no know, being equals going back and forth to each other. It wasn't like he's trying to holler at her or she's trying to prove. You know, it felt like two equals going back and forth. And it's still one of my fa you know actually my favorite Ice Cube Yo Yo song is Bonnie and Clyde. But this is right up there too with it. So I just wanted to shout out. You know, thirty one years that this, al this album came out. When I played high school football, I used to actually used to wear the Ice Cube America's Most Wanted shirt under my football pass my junior year at Long Beach Poly. So, shout out to Cube. Uh, shout out to all of you who stuck around listened to me ramble about Ice Cube and this great album. If you haven't done so in a while, check it out. I think you'll like it. And join me again next week where we talk some, we'll get some new and different Kings topics. Oh man, it's gonna be a long off season. See if they were still playing, I'd have more to work with. But yeah, we're gonna you know see what we do. We can chat about. So y'all know where to find me. Uh, Instagram, Mr. Jones LBC. Twitter, Mr. Jo at Mr. Underscore Jason Jones. Former work uh, the, at the athletic at the And again, this uh, just in case you forgot. This podcast is brought to you by the wonderful people at the Basketball Podcast Network. The network has grown. We're getting more and more podcasts from NBA teams. Stay on the lookout for all of us. And thanks again for listening. Y'all know where to find me on here. I'll see you when I see you. Catch you next time. I'm out.